Go with me to Hebrews, please, the fourth chapter. And let's continue tonight in talking about the truth, the truth about temptation. The truth about temptation. What's the good news about the truth? You'll know the truth. It'll make you free. Do we have to sin every day or every week or every month? Do we have to fall? Do we have to fail? Do we have to yield to temptation and give in to desires we know are wrong? Do we have to? Or is it possible to resist temptation and not give in? Is it possible to not fall and fail and mess up your life? Is it possible? Now, we got people all around us that are just falling in major ways every day, just ruining their life, ruining their marriage, ruining their family, ruining their reputation and their witness, ruining their credibility, ruining their businesses and their professions and their churches and their ministries. Sin, is, there's nothing funny about sin. And there's nothing light about sin. Sin is what put Jesus on the cross. Sin is why he had to pay such a terrible price. How many understand when Jesus was sweating blood and water, praying and crying, the Bible says, strong crying unto the Father. And he said, Father, all things are possible with you. If it's possible, let this cup pass from me. How many believe if there was any other way? And the Son crying out to the Father like that, he would have done it. There was no other way. Sin is so terrible and so grievous and so effective in death. There was only one person that could pay the price. And there was only one way he could do it. Because nothing else was valuable enough and powerful enough in all time and eternity. It took the blood of the spotless lamb to pay and buy us back, redeem us from the effects and death of our sin. So, it, you know, sometimes you hear people kind of making light about sin. Oh, we all sin. We all sin every day. And yeah, I may sin and, and I'll just ask God to forgive me later. That's not funny. Hmm? I said, that's not funny. People need to quit joking about these kind of things and making light. I've had people say, oh, we'll just, you know, I know it ain't right, but I, I'm going to do it. And I'll just First John 1, 9 it later. Oh, friend, you don't know what you're saying. What you're doing, and I know this is a strong word, but you're despising, which a more modern word is saying you're making little of what it took to get our redemption. And you're making little of how serious sin is. Sin is so serious, there is only one way it could be fixed. We said there are three things we need to know about sin. And let's read our text first and then we'll get into it. But Hebrews 4, Hebrews 4 and verse 14. 
Seeing then that we have a great high priest that's passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. How many ways was he tempted like us? In all points. Uh, The NIV says in every way. The NAS says in all things as we are. The English says in every respect he's been tempted as we are. So could anybody on the planet or has anybody ever been tempted to do something that Jesus was not? Or in any way that he was not? A lot of people don't like to think about that. It's hard for them to imagine. They say, well, Jesus, Jesus can't be tempted. I mean, he couldn't be tempted to lust after somebody. He couldn't be tempted to lie. He couldn't be tempted to do things we've done like humans have done. Really? Well, go to the second chapter. You know, when you say that, you get mixed response. (laughs) The reason why people have problems with this is because in their mind... If you admit that you're tempted, it shows something wrong with you. That you're weak, that you're deficient, that there's something evil and bad about you, or you wouldn't be tempted. Now, you know, I know if you're just going to pick a series to come out to, it might not be on temptation and sin. But I'm excited about this because I can see in the Word the possibility of living an overcoming life where sin is concerned and just go day after day and week after week and month after month and year after year and not fall and not fail and mess up your life. I can see the truth of the Word that says sin shall not have dominion over you. You're free. Well, in the second chapter of Hebrews, if you'll turn there, of course all this flows together, 2.18, well, let me read a little bit more of it. It talked about in verse 14 about how Jesus became a partaker of flesh and blood, just like us, and through death he delivered us. All of us who through the fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Verse 16, he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. Was Abraham a man? Was he tempted? Yes. Wherefore in all things, in how many things? In how many things? In all things, it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren. All things. All things. That he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to succor or help them that are tempted. The Living Bible says, since he himself has been through suffering and temptation, he knows what it is, what it's like. When we suffer and are tempted, and he is wonderfully able to help us. When? 
when we're tempted. Well, we didn't finish reading the passage, but in the fourth chapter where we just read how he's tempted in all points like as we are, the next verse says, Come boldly before the throne of grace, that you may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. We've used that in a real general sense, and it's okay. It applies to all things. But specifically, he was talking about getting grace and help when you're tempted. And we're going to touch on that before we're through. But the bottom line is, you and I have got everything we need to not fall. Everything we need to resist temptation and overcome. Now when we're talking about sin, we mention three things that we need to know and be clear of about sin. Number one, sin is real. People say, well, what sin? There is, you know, there are uh, psychologists and psychiatrists and people in that field that will just tell you flat out there is no such thing as sin. That's just people's, how they were brought up and their own personal code of right and wrong and morality is subjective and, you know, study cultures and tribes and Uh, Some people think this is right. Some people think this is wrong. And what are they trying to say? There is no such thing as sin. Well, the Bible talks about that in the Psalms. It says, fools make a mock of sin. They mock about sin. And I choose not to be a fool. How about you? So I take sin seriously. Jesus took sin very seriously. The Father takes sin very seriously. Sin is real. What is sin? Sin has to do with violation of light. The Bible said where there is no law, sin is not imputed. You can say it like this, where the people were not enlightened as to right and wrong, sin is not imputed or people are not held accountable as sin and for sin. Jesus told people in John 9, In John 11, it talks about it also. The people said when he healed a man that was blind, he said, I'm coming into this world that those that uh, see not might see, and those that see might be made blind. And the religious leader said, well, are we blind? He said, no. If you were blind, you'd have no sin. But now you say we see. And really they did. Therefore, your sin remains. Sin has to do with what you see, what I see. And we said sin is real. Number two, sin is a deceiver. The Bible warns us in Hebrews about the deceitfulness of sin. And three, sin is a killer. The wages of sin is death. Sin is real, it's not imaginary. Sin is a deceiver, it's a liar and a deceiver, and sin is a killer. So when we're tempted to sin, what's going on? Deception is in the works here, death is at the end of it. And it is not imaginary, it's real. Now, we said sin has to do with what we see, sin's not imputed where there's no law, where there's no light of right and wrong. But the problem is, people lie to their self, and they lie to each other, 
and try to lie to God about what they see. All the time people try to act like they didn't know. They didn't realize that that was wrong. They didn't realize that's what you wanted me to do. How many understand this is a way of evading being held accountable and responsible is to say, I didn't know. Well, the Lord knows, though, what we know and what we don't know. So we went into this already, but a big part of being free, staying free of sin, is you've got to be honest. You've got to be completely honest with yourself about what you know. And what you don't know, you got to be completely honest with God. He already knows what you know and don't know. And the Bible says, if our heart condemns us not, then we have confidence. Right? Toward God. And whatever we ask of Him, we receive. Oh friend, this is so important, we could spend six months on this. It is that important. How many understand it is absolutely vital to your survival and success that you be honest, absolutely, completely honest with yourself and with God and with other people? The reason why so many people are so dishonest with other folks is they're dishonest with their self. They con their self about it. And oh, it's a problem, friend. When, well, I'm getting, trying to get ahead of myself a little bit. Y'all are believing with me, right? Uh, boy, the Lord helped me today. I'm telling you, He gave me some things in this area. I know this is just absolutely outstanding revelation. Like all, it's not, you know, made me think of my grandmother. You know, she's a great cook. And sometimes she'd do this, she'd go, mm, mm, that is good if I did cook it myself. <laughs> well, we can't give ourselves any revelation, but uh, we can serve it. Right? But I'm telling you, this is freedom bringing truth from the Word of God. And it has to do with this. How do we keep from falling? I mean practical. Rubber hits the road. You know. Uh, how tonight if I'm tempted. Tomorrow morning or Thursday if I'm tempted. How do I keep from falling? How do I keep from yielding? Are you ready for it? Three things. And it's easy to remember it. F-A-R. And that's where you want to be from sin. (laughs) An anagram, you know. F-A-R. That's where you want to be far from sin. Number one, the F, is follow the leadings of the Holy Spirit. You want to stay out of trouble? You want to stay out of sin? How many think it's a good idea? Follow the leadings of the Lord. Follow Him. Look with me. Where are you now? Go to Galatians. Galatians 5 and then also find Romans 8. 
Galatians 5 and Romans 8. How can you keep from falling? How can you keep from yielding to temptation and getting into sin? Messing up. Number one, follow the leadings of the Lord. Follow. He's in your spirit. Follow what you get in your heart from Him. When He checks you, respond to it. When He leads you, respond to it. Because He knows all of the enemy's plans and devices. He knows every setup He's got for you. And if you follow the wrong desires, if you follow wrong thoughts, you'll wind up at the wrong place at the wrong time in a weakened condition. Did you hear me now? And that's how you fall and mess up. Oh, but if you'll follow the Lord, He knows what the enemy's got set up for you. He'll lead you the other way. Oh, come on now. He knows when you're weak in an area. And He knows how to get you in better shape. And He knows when you don't need to be around certain things. And He knows what you need to hear and when and where you need to be to be the safest every day. Where do you want to be from sin? You don't want to be next door to it. You don't want to be the edge on the edge of sin with your toes hanging off, looking into the... You want to be far from sin. And if you'll follow the Holy Spirit, that's where He will get you and that's where He will keep you. He will keep you in the secret place of the Most High where the tongue can't touch you. Where the wicked one touches you not. Oh, come on. Can you say amen? Amen. But see, every day, you got a choice. You can follow wrong thoughts. You can follow your feelings. You can follow somebody else. But you got him inside you. You got the wonderful comforter. You got the Holy Spirit. You got your guide right on the inside. Got to trust him. I said, you got to trust him. Because there will be numerous times when you don't know why he's leading you this way. And you don't see anything wrong with you going over there. You don't see what there could be wrong with you getting involved with them on this. But how many know it's dangerous to ignore the leadings of the Lord? Because there's going to be some stuff there you don't know. There's going to be some things you weren't counting on. And the Holy Spirit's trying to keep you at the right place, at the right time. The enemy's trying to get you in the wrong place, at the wrong time. And it's up to you, it's up to me, which way we yield, which one we yield to. In uh, Galatians 5.16, put it up on the screen if you would please, guys. Galatians 5.16, what did he say? This I say then... Walk in the Spirit, and what will happen? You shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Now, resisting temptation is part of it. Resisting. We're going to get to that. What do you do with temptation? You resist it. And then what do you do? You resist it. And as long as it comes, what do you do? You resist it. But before we talk specifically about that 
and how to do that. We're going to talk about how to resist. But before we do, the Holy Spirit will lead you to where you don't have to resist as much and in as many situations. Are you with me now? He will lead you to where you avoid temptation. How many remember what Jesus told us? We call it the Lord's Prayer. He taught us how to pray. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Help me out. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be. He's talking about the kingdom of God. Talking about the will of God. What else? On earth as it is in heaven. Keep coming. Yeah. We're walking in love. What else? And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. How's he going to do that? Let's read it backwards. How's he going to deliver us from evil? By not leading us. If he's not leading us into temptation, where is he leading us? Away from temptation. Out of temptation. Oh, hallelujah. But here's the thing. It didn't say, drive us not into temptation. What did it say? See, the Lord is not the good cowboy. And we are not his cattle. He is the good shepherd, and we are his sheep. How many understand there's a difference? Cowboys drive the herd. Shepherds lead, and the sheep follow of their own volition. That's the way he does us. He's not going to make us go where we should go. I don't care how long you've walked with him. I don't care how much you think you know. I don't care if you're a preacher and 50 years in the ministry. It makes no difference who you are. He's not going to make you go to the right place at the right time. He will lead you if we'll follow. And here's where the Lord said, pray this. So we ought to pray it. Lord, lead us not into temptation, but what? Deliver us. from. How many of that sounds to you like not falling? It sounds like not sinning, not failing, not messing up your life. Why? It has to do with being led. Somebody say glory to God. That's why he said in Galatians 5.16, Walk in the Spirit, you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Now go to Romans 8. Oh, thank you, Master. Romans 8. Now, one thing we talked about last time, and it's something that the devil is such a liar. We said sin is real. Sin is a deceiver. Sin is a killer. What the devil lied to Adam and Eve about, and he's lied to everybody since. Tell me what he told them. What did the devil tell them? Hmm? You won't die. What did God tell them? You will die. What does Romans 6.23 say the wages of sin is? Death. Is there such a thing as 
sinning without dying? Is there a degree of sin or a form of sin where you can do it and get by and no death? There is no instance. There's no case. It's a law of sin and death. Somebody say law. law. You sin, you die. Now that doesn't mean you just fall dead physically. Actually, the, uh, I believe it's Young's literal translation says, The Lord told them about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He said, If you do it, dying you shall die. That's the literal. Dying you shall die. And how many know that's exactly what happened to them? When they did, they died inside and they begin dying every other way and eventually they died physically. Dying, they died. And one of the definitions of death is loss of life. How many understand when we sin, we're going to lose something? Inescapable. Something's going to die. I mean, you don't have to be, you know, too brilliant. Just look around and see people are sinning. Are things dying in their life? Relationships, confidence, success, business, opportunities, uh, you know, their own bodies, their own minds. The Lord didn't tell us don't sin because he wants to spoil our fun. The results of sin is death every time. But see, the, the devil keeps telling the same lie to every generation. He told the same lie to millions of people today when he was tempting them to do something they knew was wrong and he's telling them, you won't die. What do you mean? You won't get caught. It ain't going to catch up with you. Nobody will know. You'll get by with it. (laughs) How many understand there is no way you can sin and not die? says, well, I know people that have got by with it. No, you don't. You don't know anybody that's ever got by with anything. Well, yes, I do. No, you don't. This life ain't the end. Some things come out in this life. Other things come out in the next. Nobody gets away with anything. You either pay the price for your sins or there's another way. Oh, glory to God, there was somebody that came and paid the price for your sins. And if you'll believe and receive what he did, then it's already paid for. But it ain't that you got by with it. It's that he paid for it. Oh, come on, can you see this? And if you or I keep sinning and don't repent and don't change our lifestyle We're going to have death in our life. Inescapable. Now the Lord would spare us that. He would lead us in a way to where we're not into temptation, but we're delivered from evil. Romans 8. This is wonderful all through these verses, but skip down to verse 10. If Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin. But the Spirit is life or alive because of righteousness. You know, our body has not been born again like our spirit has been. And our body has death working in it. Our body has died. 
dying, it shall die. From the moment a human being is born, they're headed towards death. And you know, we're, this is all we've ever known, so we're used to it and we think this is it. But no, one of these days, the glory of God's going to hit this body. <laughs> and it will no longer be subject to death. It'll be immortal, incorruptible, no more tired, no more age, no more wrinkles, no more dirty. No more anything to do with death. You understand dirty has to do with death. Dirt and filth has to do with decay. Something that's dying and stinking. And the reason that that's in this earth is because sin came into the earth. And the Bible says, and death passed upon all men because that all have sinned. Everything's messed up on the planet. That's why we got too much rain in some places and not enough rain in other places. And it's too hot in some places and too cold in other places. People say, well, it's an act of God. Nope. Well, God knows what we need. He knows we need too much rain. No. No. God is not pleased with floods. He's not pleased with drought. He's not pleased with hurricanes and earthquakes. The Bible tells us that the whole creation is groaning and travailing. Why? The planet itself is just like our body. It's where it came, our body came from. The planet's dying. People talking about save the earth. The earth's not going to be saved. She's dying. Just like us. There's no need in hastening it, you know, any more than you need to. But, you know, the planet is not going to be saved. The Bible already tells us that the elements are going to melt with fervent heat. And we're going to have a new earth. And a new heavens. Hallelujah. Because this one, even the atmosphere, the first heavens above us, and what we call space out beyond us, has been contaminated and defiled by the sin of man. And it has to be removed and done away with and replaced. But soon and very soon, it's going to happen. I said, it's going to happen. Aren't you glad you're on the right side? Aren't you glad you know who's in charge of all that? And who's going to bring all that to pass? He calls himself in front of the Father, your brother. How many claim him as your brother and as your Lord and as your master? Oh, thank you, Jesus. Keep reading. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies death-doomed bodies, by the Spirit that dwells in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh, for if you live after the flesh, you'll die. But if you through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they're the sons of God. So we pull this verse out to talk about being Spirit-led, but it's in the context of not living a flesh-dominated, sin-dominated life, how are you not going to walk in sin and failure? You walk in the Spirit. 
and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. That doesn't mean you walk around kind of halfway in a trance. It means you follow the leading for as many as are led, led, led by the Spirit of God. They're the sons of God. If we follow the leading of the Lord, He's going to have us missing the devil's setups and stages. The devil might have worked for six months or five years for a setup to have something that would appeal to your flesh to intercept you when you were weak on a day when you're not doing good and he's got it ready for you to fall and you to sin, but the Holy Spirit led you two days ago to not even be in town. Oh, come on now. Come on, can you see it? He's got you somewhere else in the middle of the will of God up to your eyes obeying Him and you totally missed what the devil had set up for you. And it's not just like you have to wake up every morning going, don't sin, don't sin, don't sin. I'm not going to sin, don't sin, don't sin. Oh no, there it is. Sin, I'm not going to sin. No, it's not just, you know, trying to fight against sin. Walk in the Spirit. Obey Him. Stay fully occupied with Him. Fully follow Him and He'll have you at the right place at the right time missing those setups. Can you say amen? How do we not fall? How do we not fail? How do we not sin? Follow the leadings of the Lord. Now, Hebrews 3, and this is a whole other area of this, but Hebrews 3, 8 says what? Harden not your hearts, as in the provocation in the day of what? Temptation. What are you not to do in the day of temptation? Don't harden your heart. Why would he say that? Well, see, when your flesh wants to do something, and the Spirit of God is dealing with you, don't think about it, don't mess with it, don't be in the same room with it, your flesh can get annoyed with that, because it wants to do it, doesn't want to hear it. And so you're going to do one of two things, the Spirit of God just keeps on coming up in you about that, get out of here, leave this alone, turn that off, get rid of that. Get away from that. You can do one of two things. You can either pay attention to it and obey and get far away from it. Get it far away from you. Or what else can you do? You can begin to push it down and suppress it and ignore it and harden yourself against it. And oh, that's a bad mistake. Because what did you just do now? You have made yourself much more susceptible to being tempted now. You're already headed towards the fall. Now let's talk about James. Put it up for us if you would. In James, we looked at this last week, how temptation works. James, the first chapter. How, what happens when every man is tempted? James 1 and uh, 13 said, don't say when you're tempted, you're tempted of God. God can't be tempted with evil, neither tempts he any man. Verse 14, how does it happen? Every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. 
The first thing he mentions is not the devil. Is what? Your desire. My desire. And it is a desire for something that we know is wrong. If you didn't know it was wrong, you couldn't be tempted. I need to say that again. If you didn't know it was wrong, you couldn't be tempted. Some people are going to have to meditate on that. I see that right now. But, but please do. Yeah. It'll help you. How can you be tempted to do something you don't know is wrong? Amen. You wouldn't call it a temptation. You'd just do it and not know that there's anything wrong with it. There could be no temptation. If you're being tempted, what does that prove? It proves you know <laughs> it's wrong. And we've already talked about this. Do you have to be honest with yourself? And admit. Admit that you're being tempted. Admit you know it's wrong. You've got to admit that to yourself. Or elsewise you won't even deal with it. And you'll just keep getting worse and worse and worse and you'll fall. Was Jesus tempted in every way, every way possible that you've ever been tempted? Did that make him a bad person because he was tempted? No. Temptation is not sin. And there's no reason for you to feel condemned and bad because you were tempted. It's not a sin to be tempted. It's sin when you yield to the temptation. You give in to the temptation. You follow the temptation. So, you're being tempted... You know it's wrong. The light is there. You're drawn away of your own lust, your own desire for something you know is wrong. And you're enticed. That's the enemy. And when that desire has conceived, it brings forth sin. Is it a truth that if you keep thinking about it and you keep looking at it and you keep letting yourself long for it, you're going to do it? Is it true or not? It's here in the Word, isn't it? He didn't say, and sometimes it leads to sin. If you keep looking at it, and you keep thinking about it, and you keep letting yourself long for it, you're going to do it. Oh, maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but you're going to do it. Then what happens after that? Sin, when it's finished, brings forth death. There's going to be death in your life and death round about you. Now God can forgive you. And he will forgive you. But there can be some things that can't be fixed in this life. You understand that? There will be some death. Nor won't hold it against you. In time to come or in the future. You're saved. But the wages of sin is death. So when people say well it's alright to look. Just don't touch. You know, it's all right to think about it as long as you don't act on it. Absolutely a lie. I said absolutely a lie. That's how people wind up doing things, is by looking and thinking and talking. Isn't that what he says right here? Your desire is for the wrong thing, and then here comes the sin, and then here comes the death. That's the way it happens. Now go with me to Genesis, please. Let's get into this next uh, part of far. Genesis, the third chapter. What's the first one? What's the F stand for? 
follow the leadings of the Spirit. What does the A stand for? The A stands for avoid. Avoid temptation. Avoid unnecessary temptation. Avoid situations. Now that ties in, of course, with being led, but you'll see what I'm talking about as I get into the scripture here. The third chapter of Genesis, well, actually the second chapter we need to look at. God made everything, the heaven and the earth. He made the garden. He made the man, and he put him in it. And uh, in Genesis 2, verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat of it, for in the day that you eat thereof you shall surely die. Now, if he hadn't told them that, they couldn't have been tempted. Hmm? If they happened across the tree and ate of it, he would, according to his own word, he wouldn't have imputed sin to them. Because they didn't know. There wouldn't have been any knowledge of whether it was right or wrong to eat of the tree. But he has specifically given them a charge and a commandment. Do we have a record of any other commandment he gave them? He told the man, you know, to keep the garden and that kind of thing. But any other thing that he told them, don't do. As far as I know, this is it. They didn't have an Old Testament and a New Testament to keep up with. They didn't have Ten Commandments. Right? They didn't have laws and statutes. You know what they had? One thing... He commanded them not to do and told them what would happen if and when they did. They would surely. How many when God says surely? There ain't no way around it. That's what's going to happen. Now verse chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field. Of the translations say cunning Crafty, deceptive, tricky. Is the devil tricky? How tricky is he? And when the Bible says you're tricky, you're eternally tricky. He was more subtle, more tricky than any beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he, the serpent, we know it was the enemy working through him, said to the woman, Yea, has God said... You shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, I just don't know. We're all confused about this thing. I mean, a tree's a tree, ain't it? Does she sound confused? We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Now, I've heard some people say, well, he didn't say don't touch it. How do you know he didn't say not touch it? They talked every afternoon. She is not confused. He is not confused. They are not 
to mess with that tree. And yet, it goes on for him to just talk about, he said, verse 4, you shall not surely die. Now that's a lie. But it's another way of saying you can do it and get by with it. You can do it and it not cost you. You can do it. Hmm? You can take that money and nobody will ever know. <laughs> you can have three affairs on the side and it's not going to affect your family. You can keep everything. You can have it all. Somebody say lie. It's a lie. It's a lie. Every time it's a lie. It's a lie. And that's what he's doing. He's been doing the same thing to everybody, every generation, ever since. He said, you won't surely die. God knows that in the day you eat thereof, your eyes are going to be open. You'll be as God's knowing good and evil. Now let's just stop right here. Why are they having this conversation? And it goes on to talk about the tree looking good, doesn't it? Verse 6, the woman saw the tree was good for food. How did she see it was good for food? How did she see it? She's there by it, to where she can see it. And that opened the door for the enemy to talk to her about it. How do we keep from falling? Avoid, of course if we're led by the Spirit, that's what He's going to help us to do, but avoiding temptation. Staying away from it. Now again, you've got to be honest with yourself about this. First of all, how many understand you're not going to avoid something and you don't even admit you're tempted? You've got to admit you're tempted in order to take the strong response to avoid the thing or situation that's tempting you. Here's the thing, friend. Obadiah 3 says the pride of your heart has deceived you. Now, sin is real. Sin is a deceiver. Sin is a killer. Notice the deception that began to work. Before they reached out and took that fruit and partook of it and ate of it, what was working first? Deception. Wasn't it? Why was the deception working? Because they're there. Looking at it. Open to him talking to him. How many understand? They could have shut him down. Couldn't they? Why don't you go over to the tree and check it out? Let's stand here and look at the tree and talk about the tree. Now here is where the pride comes in. And it affected both of them. And it's affected millions since then. Here's the pride. Well, I'm stronger than other people. I can look, but not touch. I can handle it. I can talk, and I'm not going to do it. Oh, friends, can you hear this tonight? Pride says, I can handle this. I'm not going to do it. I'm just going to look. I don't think Adam and Eve got up that morning and said, let's sin and die today. Do you? Uh Uh-uh. 
They were brilliant. They talked to God on His level. Brilliant. And the enemy came and said, well, just go look at it. And I'm sure it's worked the same way with every man and woman since. They're telling themselves, well, now we're not going to touch it. But I don't guess it hurt to look at it. Yes, it hurts to look at it. We're not going to do anything. We're just going to talk. Friend, to consider it and to look and to think means you are already weaker than you realize you are. If you were as strong as you're trying to think you are, then you'd have said no. You wouldn't have looked. You wouldn't have been yielding. You're already yielding. You're already sliding down the path toward death. It begins with desire. See, this is how the devil is. He knows you're sitting up in church here tonight. Oh, you ain't going to yield. No. But he's crafty. He's tricky. He's subtle. And he knows how to make it work. Well, you're not going to do it. You can talk about it. You're not going to do it. You can look at it. Because you know it's wrong. And you're not going to do it. How many understand how brilliant they were, how innocent and pure they were, and yet he got them step by step, didn't he? He got them to the tree. He got them talking about the tree. He got them looking at the tree. He must have eventually at some point got them to touching it. How many understand all this had to happen before the end? They must have touched it. They must have picked it. They're looking at it. They're smelling it. Could they afford To go out to the tree. And look and talk. No. No. Now humility will admit. I can't look at it. I can't be around it. I'm tempted. And I can't be around it. Pride won't admit that. Pride says. Oh I, I can handle it all. Yeah yeah that don't bother me. And it is bothering them. And they're just lying and just slide right into sin. Go to Proverbs. How do we stay out of sin? We avoid these situations. We avoid things that pull on us. We avoid things that are temptations. Go to Proverbs chapter 5. While we're turning there, friends, put up Ephesians 4 for me, please. Ephesians 4. 27, you're going to Proverbs 5. What does it say? Neither give place to the devil. The NIV says, don't give the devil a foothold. God's Word translation says, don't give the devil any opportunity to work. Somebody said out loud, don't give him any opportunity. How do you do that? Don't let him talk to you. Don't listen to him. Don't let him show you anything. Nothing. Come on, are y'all with me? What if Adam and Eve had taken this teetotaler position? We ain't looking at the tree. We ain't touching the tree. We ain't talking to you about the tree. Nothing to do with the tree. Then you and I wouldn't be in here tonight. All of us would still be there. In glory, expanding that garden all over the world, I guess. 
To be a strong individual and one safe from sin is to be one with enough humility to admit it when you're tempted and avoid all appearance, resemblance, anything to do with it. Are y'all with me now? You got to be strong though. And sometimes you got to speak up around other people. Don't judge them. They may not be tempted like you are in that area. But if you are, you are. And you don't have to go into a whole bunch of spill. And you don't have to tell everybody about your failures or mistakes of the past. But sometimes you just need to say, no, I'm not going. Why? Well, I'm going to do something else. <laughs> Proverbs 5, are you there? We read last week where Romans says, don't make any provision for the lust of the flesh. The New Living says on that same thing, don't let yourself think about ways to indulge your evil or wrong desires. Put that up on the screen while we're reading this. Romans 13, 14, New Living Translation. Romans 13, 14, New Living what does it say that last part? Don't let yourself think about ways to indulge your evil desires. You see, we live in a generation of people that pride themselves on their intellect, on their intelligence, on their ability to multitask and act. And so they're talking to you about one thing and all the while they're thinking about something else. That they're tempted to do. And they're thinking about how I can work this around. How we can wind up at this place or at this time or at this situation. Your flesh is pulling on you to work it out so we can yield to the flesh. And the scripture said don't let yourself think that way. But you've got to be honest with yourself that you're pulled and tempted. Now in talking to the young man, you know, David and Solomon to their sons about Avoiding the wayward woman, which is a, you know, classic type of temptation. Proverbs 5, are you there? He tells them how to stay out of trouble. How to stay out of sin. Are you ready? Proverbs 5. 1. My son, attend to my wisdom and bow your ear to my understanding that you may regard discretion. Your lips may keep knowledge. For the lips of a strange woman drop as an honeycomb and her mouth is smoother than oil, but her end is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps take hold on hell. Lest you should ponder the path of life, her ways are movable that you cannot know them. Hear me now, therefore, O you children, depart not from the words of my mouth. Verse 8, might want to mark it. Remove your way far from her, and come not near the door of her house. How are you going to stay out of sin? Hmm? Let me read to another translation. The New Living says, don't go near the door of her house. The NIV says, keep to a path far from her. The message says, keep your distance from such a woman. Absolutely stay out of her neighborhood. 
Somebody say, absolutely, absolutely. Stay, out stay out of her neighborhood. And don't lie to yourself and go, oh, look where I am. I just lost track. Liar, liar. Liar, you planned to go through there before you left the house. You were thinking about going through there and looking at that when you were getting ready, talking to your spouse this morning. We've got to be honest with ourselves about temptation. How many understand what we're talking about here today? We're talking about if you do these things, the Lord can keep you and you won't fall. Is that worth something? Don't go near the door of her house. Don't go near. Somebody say not near. Don't go around there. If you're tempted to drink, should you stay away from places where people are drinking? Maybe you hadn't told anybody, but every day on the way to work, you go by and they got that big whiskey sign up there. <laughs> and you hadn't told anybody. But man, you look at that and it just stirs you up, stirs your flesh up. Well, if you can get there another way, you need to go another way. So you don't see, what are we talking about? Avoiding things that pull on you and tempt you. Avoiding situations. Stay out of it. Stay away from it. You've got to be honest with yourself. If you're really trying to lose some weight and you're serious about something in that area, you know where people are going to be eating a certain kind of food and, and you know where all this food's going to be and you don't want to just go in there and let it tempt you. Just stay out the kitchen. And how many know it's a lot easier to pass the grocery store on the highway than it is to pass up that box of stuff in your cupboard. <laughs> right? Because it's there. And you know it's there. <laughs> and you have to keep going by that cupboard, and there it is. It's calling your name. But if you left it at the store, you might not be able to hear it from way down at the grocery store. <laughs> it's calling, but you don't hear it. Because you got it far far away, far from you. Oh, come on. Can you see this? Don't go near the door of her house. In Proverbs 7, he describes a young man failing in this area. Proverbs 7, down in about verse 6, he said, At the window of my house I looked through my casement, I beheld among the simple ones, I discerned among the youths, a young man void of understanding, passing through the street near her corner, and he went the way to her house. That's how it works, isn't it? Drive by the corner. <laughs> and then drive around again. Drive around the corner, then drive around again, acting like you're doing something else. Acting like you're going somewhere. Oh, look, here we are again. <laughs> How many understand you're already yielding? Just like Adam and Eve, you're already standing out there looking at the tree. Avoid it. Now, we live in an age of uh, crudeness. And 
explicit and graphic sex and sexual stuff everywhere. Hmm? And we don't need to kid ourselves about it. We're natural human beings. Men should have natural desires. Women should have natural desires. They're supposed to be enjoyed in, within the blessing of marriage. And we're not supposed to see each other's nakedness. Have you ever studied Leviticus and studied different parts uh, when he gave them the law and his statutes? I mean, he goes through it. You're not to see this one's nakedness. You're not to see that one's nakedness. You're not to see. You're not to see. I mean, he is very specific. He told the priest to dress a certain way so that when they went up the stairs, people couldn't see up their skirts and couldn't see their nakedness. I mean, it's a big deal. And people say, oh, God made Adam and Eve and the human body is beautiful and, and I'm just admiring the creation of God. <laughs> and you're lying to yourself and you're a hypocrite and you're going to be a sinner as long as you act like that and think like that no the moment Adam and Eve sinned God himself put clothes on them didn't he they lost their glory and they lost whatever they had to begin with they didn't need it they weren't aware of any nakedness apparently they weren't naked in the truest sense. I mean they were naked and not ashamed. But they didn't feel unclothed. They had something. That made them feel confident. But they lost it when they sinned. And immediately God made them clothing. Out of skins. Didn't he? Proving they need to be covered up. We need to observe this. We need to teach our children this. And our young people this. And we are foolish to think. We can put naked bodies in front of our eyes all the time and not be tempted. Hmm? Don't care who you are. Don't care what you think you know. Seeing and hearing is going to stir desires. You know, I notice on our own TV and stuff, it's just gotten worse and worse and worse and the movies have just gotten worse and worse. I had them a while back take the movie channels off of my TV stuff. It's just too much of it there. I don't want to see it when I'm flipping and have to deal with it. Are y'all with me now? And I stay in the Word all the time. But I'm a man. And I got eyes. Do y'all understand? Particularly if you've had troubles in other areas. There's some people, I know it sounds harsh, but there's some people, they don't need access to the internet for a while, them privately. And you can watch how people react to it. If you say, well, you ought to, you know, just get the power cord off your TV and mail it to China or something. So it'll come back to you in a few months. Or you do something that's going to, you need a break. You need, and you'll see their reaction. People get indignant. Man, I'm not a child. You can tell me how to, well, what are they doing? They're making provision to keep feeding the lust of that flesh. And they're getting upset. Because you're talking about avoiding the temptation and doing away with it. And man, they like, they're like a, an alcoholic that's got to have their drink. A, a drug addict that's got to have their fix. It scares them because you're going to take away my thing that my flesh loves and has got to have. Otherwise, you could turn it loose. Either temporarily or there's some things we just, we actually would never need. 
Well, we're having fun tonight, aren't we? <laughs> Go to 1 Corinthians. I think I can close with this. 1 Corinthians in the 7th chapter. We won't get to finish the far tonight. We've got the first two, but maybe you can come back. You probably guess what the R is for. Resist. And we'll be talking about that as the Lord helps us. 1 Corinthians 7, are you there? Jesus told his own disciples when he was about to be scourged and crucified, he warned them, he said, watch and pray so that you don't what? Enter into temptation. Now that tells us volumes, doesn't it? Being tempted is one thing and entering into the temptation is another. It's like a a door or something that's open and calling and drawing you. You know it's there. You see it's there. But do you have to go in? You know you shouldn't be in it. You know it's not what you need. You know it's wrong. But part of your flesh, part of your unrenewed mind wants it, wants to see it, wants to do it, wants to feel it. That's you. And the enemy saying, oh, it's amazing. It's amazing. How many understand that Getting high on drugs is not the greatest experience in life. That was weak. <laughs> I don't have a whole church full of addicts, do I? <laughs> Getting high on the best drugs in the world is not the greatest experience in life. It's not. It's not. Greatest experience in life is love and God. And love between brethren and love. God is love. Sex is not the greatest experience in life. So, well, maybe you just don't know about sex. Yeah, maybe you don't know about God. Husbands and wives should enjoy sex and have wonderful times together, but it's not and can never be the greatest experience in life. The love of God is the great, having huge piles of money and having the latest, greatest stuff and having the most amazing vacation homes and all this is not the greatest experiences in life. Can't be. Will never be. So I'm going to say God. 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 The love of God. The will of God. God being pleased with me. This is life. Eternal life to know Him and to know Jesus. Hallelujah. 1 Corinthians 7. Now he says this concerning this very area that we've touched on. 1 Corinthians 7 and 2. We just read this not too long ago, didn't we? Only three people. Verse 2, nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife and every woman have her own husband. Now, he said concerning the things you wrote to me about. So apparently they wrote to him and asked him about celibacy, chastity, these kind of things. Because apparently some people were teaching 
that sex was base and carnal and there's whole, well, you know, they're out of that kind of thinking. There's whole groups developed that think you can't even be a minister unless you are celibate. And if you're really holy and spiritual, then you have to be chaste. And some of these groups that have had the strongest position on this have had the most sexual sin and damage. Because it's not God. It's not the way. And the Bible says to avoid fornication. Now he, throughout the chapter he talks about situations where people are not married and they don't feel the need and they don't burn with desire. But for those that are, their desires are strong, he's saying everyone should have their own spouse. Verse 3, let the husband render to the wife due benevolence, likewise also the wife unto the husband. He's talking about them taking care of each other physically. The wife has not power of her own body but the husband, and the husband has not power of his own body but the wife. Defraud not, you, defraud you not one the other. Now why would he say that? Because people had been. And they had been doing it in the name of spirituality. Now keep reading. Defraud ye not one the other, except it be with consent for a time, temporary, that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again. Why? Why? That Satan tempt you not for your incontinency. Another word for that is Lack of self-control. Are there things we can do that make us more vulnerable to being tempted? And now here's the interesting thing. These people, what they were calling being spiritual was actually making them more likely to sin. What they were doing Calling themselves being more spiritual than other people was actually playing right into the hand of the enemy, making them more susceptible to yielding to sin and falling. Let me read this to you from another translation. Do not deprive each other of sexual relations unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time. Somebody say both agree. Say it again. Both agree. agree. Bible says both agree. agree. See, even then, I've heard about it just numerous times. One person decides they're more spiritual than the other person. And that means they can't have relations because they got to be holy. Did you hear me? Friend, if you're married, you're married. You have responsibilities. Did you hear me? Your body's not your own. Now love is not going to want somebody to do something that they don't want to do. Either partner. But at the same time, if we don't deal with natural things, we make ourselves more susceptible to being tempted and to falling. Let me finish reading that. Afterward, you should come together again so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Quiet. Oh, it's quiet. There are people that have said God told them 
to do this. And God told them to do that. Keeps them separated from their spouse. For weeks at a time. Long lengths of time. They're supposed to be off praying. They're supposed to be off getting close to God. They're supposed to be this and they're supposed to be that. Children are let go. Spouse is let go. People are tempted. Ways they wouldn't have been. If they'd have been following the Lord. Listening to Him. Sin. Failure. Destruction. And a lot of time the person that was supposed to be so spiritual. Opened the door as wide as anybody. And allowed the cause of it. Friend we are to follow the leading of the Lord. And follow the plain scripture. And do what He tells us when He tells us. And the door will be closed. We won't be giving the devil a foothold. We won't be giving him opportunity and giving him a place to tempt us. If we'll follow the Lord, he'll show us the right way and the right time to where we'll just won't be tempted like we normally would have been. We won't be tempted. We won't be there. We won't be looking at it. We won't be listening to it. We won't be deprived or denied in that area that we don't have to be. Are you with me now? How many know the Bible is right? God is right. The truth makes you free. And we don't have to sin. Stand on your feet. Praise you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. Sin shall not. Sin shall not have dominion over me. Glory to God. Glory to God. This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.